everyone! You're listening to Hotel Vicarious, a podcast where two best friends talk about all of their favorite TV shows and movies. This week, we're finishing up our recap on Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. Jenny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? <sighs> I'm tired. Yes. <laughs> I think all of us who are having to deal with the atrocity that is daylight savings time, or rather a return to standard time. Yeah, I'm struggling. <sighs> and I feel like... Has it ever been this early before that the sun sets? Like, it just feels like a really aggressively early this time around. And I, like, don't remember it, the sun setting at, like, 345. Yeah, so I had a theory. I have a theory about this. So I think, now I do not remember the time changing in 2020. <laughs> I don't remember it. I remember zero. I do not it did not happen. Like, I do not remember it at all. Like, no. 2020 just was just a fake year. That's why. Right. So, but I remember the year before, so in 2019, you know, because I was commuting mm-hmm. and you're going to stores and you're everywhere and you're seeing things. And like, basically right after Halloween, everything is Christmas. It's like Christmas, Christmas, Christmas. And like for me, when you start feeling like it starts like the beginning of the Christmas season, that's kind of when the time changes. And I, because I remember I had a friend in high school whose birthday is right around now. And it was always like the weekend of her birthday party was always on the like return to standard time. So we'd always get like an hour extra of sleepover. (laughs) Uh, but like I know we planned it that way it's so Um, cute but I just don't think that we are around like I have like I was in somewhere the other day and they were playing Christmas music no I don't I don't like that there's Christmas decorations in multiple stores that I have been like been in and I'm not going to a lot of stores but the few that I have been in um there was Christmas decorations and I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, I think in any other normal year, the time change would seem like, oh yeah, it's here. It happens just after like Halloween. But like for this year, it just feels like, no, wait, that's not right because August was yesterday. (laughs) Yeah. Listen, I am very much a proponent of not even thinking about Christmas until after Thanksgiving because I love Thanksgiving food so much. And, like, <laughs> I could really – I could give a shit about actual American Thanksgiving as a holiday. Let's be real. But the yes. food, the food is so good. I want to, like, sit in that for a little bit before I'm, like, worrying about putting my Christmas tree up. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. I mean, so – Canada is like, oh, Thanksgiving, that was a month ago. (laughs) Uh, So, like, we're over it. 
But I understand what you're saying um, in terms of, and I feel like American Thanksgiving kind of ushers in the Christmas season to the full extent, right? Yes. Macy's Day Parade. It is, it's a partnership. Yeah. You know, they work in tandem with one another. You can't, you know, like it's a nice flow. Right. It's a nice flow of consumerism right into the new year. <laughs> it's true. I know. I was um, in Target the other day getting groceries and it was like they were all ready. I mean, honestly, they've been putting out Christmas stuff since before Halloween. So yeah. it's not super surprising. But man, like the Rockettes are already performing. No. I mean, that seems early. You really shouldn't, in my opinion, and I know I've heard lots of things about this, is like, don't do Christmas stuff before Remembrance Day. Like, it's like a thing. But like, consumerism is not listening to you people. Like, the jingles are happening. (laughs) The wrapping paper is at the cash. Like, it's too late. (laughs) See, I was much more forgiving of this last year. I thought like, It's been a hellish year. If someone wants to put up their Christmas decorations in August, let them. Let them have that little joy. But I'm right back to being a bah humbug. (laughs) Right back. Snapped right back. Yeah, I mean, I I do really love this whole season. I'm not going to lie. But, like, I love it for not, like, (laughs) Christmas as like the birth of Jesus (laughs) I love it for like you know the holiday season oh yeah Um, I'm purely a gift giving like that's it that's what I love about Christmas I don't yeah, um, and I'm just, I also really love, like, the whole thing about Yule and the winter solstice that has a lot of meaning for me, so that's been something I've tried to sort of, like, incorporate into my holiday stuff for the last couple of years, and that's been really fun, so, um, and my kid is really into it, too, so, which makes love me that. Really fun. Yeah, so, but yeah, it's just, I don't, what is time? <laughs> what is time? I really can't believe I don't remember Daylight Savings ending last year. What? Listen, I'm over it. I I just feel like there's there's not enough room in my brain anymore. Oh, yeah. No, chunks of time have been lost for all of eternity and they will never return. (laughs) Those parts are just dead. Smooth flesh. (laughs) Lunar winds in those little pockets. Oh, God. Okay. Just stop me now, please. So, Midnight Mass, part two. I was going to say, smooth flesh. Uh, It was a good (laughs) intro to talk about part two of Mike Flanagan's Midnight Mass. Um, uh, I have a lot. You finished it? Yeah, I certainly did. And it was a really traumatic experience. I was like heart beating, like hiding behind my hands. And not because I was scared, but because I was just fucking mortified by everything that was happening. It was like a mixture of of secondhand embarrassment for Father Pruitt and just total... I was so upset about all of the like people 
being brutalized in that church. It was a lot. It was a lot. It was a lot. Yes. Um, And also, not to say nothing of the brutal death of your beloved Matt Sarris. My boy. Number seven. (sighs) Seven million pieces of dust. Shut up! (laughs) So rude! Gosh! I'm I'm not really sorry. So, why don't we start... We'll start with episode five. That's where we left off, right? The end of episode four. Yes, yes. So, as you know, at the end of episode four, I was very, very upset because we saw the pale angel vampire demon guy mauling Riley's neck. And I thought, okay, well, I'm done now with this show. I'm never going to watch it ever again. And episode five starts with Riley missing. Right. He's ghosted Aaron on their dinner date. (laughs) Um, And she is kind of freaking out a little bit. Because she, you know, I mean, there's some weird shit happening on this island. Um, and no one even knows about the goddamn angel. <laughs> well, and it's also, like, it's an island of, what, 157 people? So, like, if someone's not around, it's pretty easy to find them. You know? Right. Like, I feel like you could walk around the whole island pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. And if she checked the ferry logs and he wasn't on them, like, how else would he have left? Right. So, I get it. I get it. But she goes to sort of file a missing persons. And right. the poor sheriff is already looking for Bull, who's been missing. Oh, yeah, the drug dealer. And then I think finds out that, like, maybe Joe Colley's not around. Yes, and now Joe Riley's is missing as well. Yeah. Missing. Yeah. So, like, he's a little yeah. overwhelmed because I'm sure nothing happens on this island and now he's like wow suddenly shit's happening what am I supposed to do my job right right yeah yeah um and so he kind of like brushes Aaron off you know he's kind of like well you know what maybe he's drunk somewhere you know maybe he you know killed himself <laughs> you know like yeah which I it's- thought was like a little harsh but, like, yeah, I guess, you know, the sheriff's having a bad day, maybe. <laughs> um, but it was a little bit much. It was, like, he's been gone, like, a couple hours. <laughs> well, right. Though it doesn't help that, like, Aaron tells the sheriff that the last conversation they had was about death and what happens to you when you die. Right. Right. <laughs> Which... I have to say, we didn't talk about it too much in the previous episode, Uh, I did love that monologue by Zach Guilford about what he thinks happens, you know, when you die. And I thought it was really interesting. I thought I, it's, it was kind of like, it was kind of like a, a very much different perspective than like the rest of the show and the rest of the characters are giving us so that was kind of interesting and I thought even like Aaron's sort of um her idea was very much um not quite what you would expect considering how much we've seen Aaron in the church 
up until this point. Yeah. So, but I thought that was really interesting. And I, I actually think, and it's funny because, you know, they say that they were talking about death and he alludes that maybe Riley died by suicide. But the thing about his monologue actually to me was this idea of clarity for him that like there was more life worth living and I think he was looking at that evening with Aaron as a like sign of some future they could have together which makes everything about what happens later on in the episode that much more traumatic and like tragic for sure yeah absolutely I agree yeah he didn't he there was nothing about his like speech monologue whatever that made him seem like that would be a path he would choose right so while Aaron is looking for Riley we go over to uh Sarah's the doctors and we see that Millie her mom is like super young again looking hot like looking good like looking like a real fine like 45 year old (laughs) yeah she's looking younger than her daughter yes exactly and it's like so interesting that you know she's considered this kind of miracle in town when she goes to church that night Mm -hmm. um especially knowing what we know now about what's in the communion wine right Yes, so they're, you know, they're going to this, like, so it's the Good Friday Mass, and... And it's the first midnight Mass, correct? I think so, because Father Paul cannot go out in the sunlight anymore, having, since he, like, croaked on his floor. <laughs> so, um, he can't go out in the sun anymore, so I believe, yes, this is the first one that's actually at night. Actually, it might be, like, 8 p.m. I don't think it's, like actually midnight i think the one the next night which is the saturday mass is the one at midnight which normally in catholicism is a midnight mass right i hate that i know that (laughs) oh it's ingrained in you unfortunately i know so they're at the good friday mass um and father paul is like giving this it is like this very military-esque sermon that is like soldiers in god's army like get ready for war like it is a lot yeah it's it's some big time you know and like not really sort of the same kind of vibe that father paul had kind of been giving off up until this point yes it's it's very different and i think uh, a lot of the congregation are are uh, 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 blown away Surprised? by Surprised? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, like, you see it specifically with Millie, who yeah. obviously we know has this sort of, like, previous history of going to the church and, and being close with Monsignor Pruitt. And so she's like, okay. No. We gotta go. God, yeah, what's going on here? Yeah. But then you see others in, in the pews that are just, like, really eating it up. You know? Oh, like nodding, like really visibly, like, like it, some into it. Burgeoning QAnon Trumpers, <laughs> like yeah, like yeah. going hard for God's army. Right, right, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of, and then I think she leaves. Right, she yeah, she leaves, and she makes Sarah leave with her, and she tells her never to come back. Is that yeah. what that says? I never want you going back. Yeah. Um. 
so that happens and then what is oh and then after the mass that's when finally Riley appears at Aaron's doorstep yes and asks her to go on a boat with him yeah and so this is like ugh, this is the part where I start getting like super stressed out because like (laughs) obviously you know that he's now just like Monsignor Pruitt he is a vampire because there's just no way otherwise he would have survived that attack right and so I love that they paddle out to the middle of nowhere and he gives her the rundown on what happened and we get to see kind of the way that like Bev and Sturge Keep wanting to say storage. I don't know why. Yeah, no, it's storage. I'm like yeah. giving him some sort of like Viking nickname. <laughs> he has a Viking vibe. He, he has does a Viking have. vibe. <laughs> yeah. Um, we start to see that Bev and Sturge and the mayor and his wife have all sort of become these like little minions to Monsignor Pruitt. And they treat Riley like he's been given this gift from God. To join Monsignor Pruitt in this, like, quest for eternal life. Right, right. Which is, a lot, too. It's a lot. And it's a lot, especially for someone like Riley, who's, like, very much a non-believer. And I think for quite good reason. And so to see him sort of grappling with this, like, new identity he has is I mean again another master class in performance by Zach Guilford that boy is yes. so talented I, I hate so it. good I know I just want him in all the things all the time now all the things all the time I know it's like overall a very like aggressive episode like we we really see Monsignor Pruitt behaving in like very sort of like manic ways, I think. Yeah, I I almost feel like the the Father Paul that we see at the Good Friday Mass is kind of like I feel like that's more like Monsignor Pruitt. Like he kind of gets really he almost like gets really hyped up in his own rhetoric where I think before Father Paul seemed a little bit more, I don't know, shucks. chill, a little bit more, like, a little bit different, like, a little bit more, you know, um, but I think that he was so hyped up about that because of what happened to Riley, right? Because that, this mass happens after Riley has died and been brought back and, you know, obviously, Father Pruitt and Riley had some sort of mentor-mentee relationship at one point, and so he really believes that Riley has been given a gift, and he's so excited and so into, like, everyone now getting this gift. Like, he's just needs it to happen. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's just so into it. And so I think he's just, like, really, it's like, it's almost like he... It's just, like, the whole thing with Riley just, like, fueled the fire, actually, to, like, push um, Father Paul to just be, like, that much more, like, woo! Yeah, I do think this is the episode that's really ramping up the tension, too. Like, we've been watching now for five episodes, and we know that there's a plan, but we're not entirely sure what it is. 
Yeah. And, like, there are parts of the show to me that are a tiny bit slow. Um, Mm -hmm. But this episode is really sort of where things kick into high gear. And, like, now we know that we're just going to sort of, like, crest off the mountain into the, like, climax. And we're just going to, like, boom. Yeah. It's, like, I feel like all three episodes are super full. Yes. Like, full, full, full. And so much happens. Like, you don't realize it's, like... You can't believe that all of that happened in just an hour. Like, it's it's honestly, and it's, that's good storytelling. Yeah. Good storytelling, amazing direction. Um, Just Mike Flanagan knows how to tell a really good story. Yeah. Quickly, but fully. Yeah. Uh, I mean, again, you know how I feel about the monologues. So it doesn't always feel super quick to me. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, in some, in some, I mean, in these three, in these three episodes in particular, I think the first four, yes, it, they did have that issue where it was very, um, a little bit preachy and I don't, I don't mean preachy in a church sense, but like in just like a, a lengthy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah. So where did we leave off? Okay. So Riley and Aaron are on the boat. He has told her what's happened we've seen the flashback to um you know how he left the rec center he's disgusted by um father or monsignor pruitt Mm -hmm. and he leaves um and we see him leaving notes for his family um and for monsignor pruitt Mm -hmm. um before um he goes to find aaron and we also see that as he's leaving the rec center, as church is ending, he sees and hears the conversation between Millie and Sarah about Sarah never returning to that church, which I think is, is also important. That, like, he yeah. sees, because he wasn't there for that mass, so he kind of misses, you know, right. that yeah. crazy, you know, call to arms, like, almost mm-hmm. literally. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's an important, like, a confirmation for him, too. That, um, yeah, this is shit is getting real and it's going down yeah and i think oh you know it's so interesting that like the character that we meet in the very first episode who is clearly just messed up beyond belief gets into you know a dui he's responsible Mm -hmm. for someone's death Mm -hmm. but we've seen how that specific event has affected the rest of his life and how he's developed a kind of integrity mm-hmm. that no one else yeah. on the on the island can thinks of when they think of Riley Flynn, right? Like sh- the sheriff's right. first response is that, well, maybe he's off on a bender. His dad's first response is maybe he's off on a bender. So like mm-hmm. everyone automatically thinks the worst of him. Meanwhile, right. he's paddling out to the center of the ocean. To effectively prevent himself from joining in on this, like, impending catastrophe. Right, exactly. He doesn't want to be one of the people who sort of brings it on. Yeah, and I think that that's so powerful. Yeah. And so amazing, and it's a beautiful scene. I know, and he tells her he loves her. Ugh. (laughs) Like, it's, you know, I think... I didn't always buy into the Riley and Aaron relationship. I think that I mean, it wasn't really there very much. There was no, there was their there chemistry. Was very, it didn't I really mean, hit for me. I think 
and I never really understood if they were together when they were in high school. Like, were they just friends who kind of liked each other? Were they boyfriend and girlfriend in high school? Like, it was, it was very vague the whole time. I, I kind of got more of a sibling vibe from them. That was my, you know what I mean? Like, they, they kind yeah. of, to me, seemed better as friends than anything more intimate than that. Though I think, I yeah. think we're supposed to infer that they were previously together and, mm, you know, okay. whatever. But. Yeah, it was hard for me to decide. Yeah. So it's like, I liked that moment because I think it was nice that he was like, I know you're, you should run, but I know you're going to probably try and go back and save them. And I think that that speaks to that history they have. But, yeah. um. Yeah, what a good moment. That oh was... my god, and Aaron screams. Jesus. My god. Like, Katie Siegel, I... Sometimes I'm not sure if I like her as an actress, and it's not her fault. It's just like, I just... Something about her sometimes, I'm just like... Yeah, no. I don't... She doesn't... something. She doesn't always knock it out of the park for me either, to be honest. But watching her scream in absolute horror horror as Riley is turning into dust was fucking great like it was so good yeah that was a very powerful scene and it was a great way to end the episode and I loved how there was no sound yes yes that that was was a great a great call it was it was a really even I think it was more powerful than actually hearing her scream is like not hearing her scream was like so much it was a lot yes oh so as episode five ends and episode six begins you sort of see Aaron like zombie walking around the island right completely (laughs) unsure of what the hell just happened and she ends up at Sarah's place right and that is when Sarah basically shows Aaron the now very de-aged Mildred, who has completely lost all of her gray hair and looks younger than both Aaron and Sarah. <laughs> yeah. Like, she looks young. Um, and then what else? Oh, she also shows um, Aaron about the blood samples that burn in the sunlight. Yes, and I thought that that was... <sighs> Really cool. I I will say, though, the one thing about the interaction between Aaron and Sarah that sort of threw me was, like, Aaron is telling Sarah this story, and she's like, I know this sounds crazy, and Sarah's like, yeah, that sounds really crazy. And then she goes into this tangent about hand washing, (laughs) and, like, (laughs) I... Well, I don't, like, what was the point? Again, but, like, this is the thing about Mike Flanagan that, like, mm, sometimes he puts in these little monologues and I'm like, dude, bro, what does that have to do with anything? Like, that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, He does it twice in this episode. I get it, but also, like, she could have said it and explained it within, like, a couple sentences. Well, she could have just said, like, oftentimes the craziest things in science, uh, you know, become these giant breakthroughs, and that's it. Like, that's all she could have said. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I do love that we get this little trio of women who are just sort of sitting around going, okay, what the fuck is going on? 
how can we fix yeah. it? What can we do? Like you start to see that action start to happen, yeah. which is yeah. great. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> and then I guess she, Sarah goes to the sheriff. Right? For unnecessary monologue number two in the episode. Yes. When the sheriff talks about 9-11 and the NYPD. Oh my God. What? I was like, what? Why? Okay. It's like, we get it. We know. <laughs> Because we saw Bev talk to you like a sh- asshole in episode one. <laughs> Again, it could have been as simple as like, I've had really bad experiences with investigating spaces that I don't technically belong in. Like, I don't know how to go about this. Though I will say, ending that scene with Sarah asking the sheriff if he uses a gun, and he says no, and she just goes, hmm, and just walks out. That was my favorite part of the entire episode. It was so funny. <laughs> I just, like, I understand. And I, I get sometimes that Mike Flanagan has messages, perhaps, that he, like, not even messages. Like, he wants to say things with his films and his TV shows. And I understand that. I do. And I think that the very real experience of Muslim police officers in the NYPD was probably fucking horrific. Yeah. After 9-11. No, it for was sure. probably terrible. This is like, it did not have to be so long. It was so long. And I feel like <laughs> I could, I even got the energy from Sarah that she was like, do we have time for this? Like, are we sure? You want I to just be? told you about a vampire. <laughs> Uh, you know, it is, it's, it's a funny sort, and it's not funny, but it's kind of funny. Like in that chunk of the episode, right? You have Sarah going to the sheriff and then you have Aaron going to the Flynn house to right. try and get the Flynn family to leave the island because the women have decided that like, whatever happens, we just got to get the hell out of here. Yes. Like shit's yeah. about to go down. And it's hard because you see Annie who has had this beautifully positive, sometimes a little intense attitude. Um, the whole season, you finally start to see her crack a little bit at the idea that Riley might be gone. Right. Yes. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you see that maybe, like, maybe there's something more in there. <laughs> like yeah. a hint. Just a hint. So then um, they all meet back up, and they are attempting to get to the mainland from on the ferry, but they find out that the mayor has sent all the ferries away and Sturge is locking down all the fishing boats for this impending storm that's coming. I mean, like, make it a little bit more obvious, guys. Like, if you're planning something and you're removing all kinds of transportation off the islands, like, come on. Right, exactly. But also, like, I didn't think that there was any sort of inclement weather that was happening to make them think, like, a big storm was coming. No, it was all bullshit so that they could... Like, windy. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fake. That was, like, oh. Like, it was just not very believable is what I mean. Like, I didn't, yeah. like, I don't know. It was just, like, I guess. But you know what I mean? Like, if they wanted to, like, I don't know, trick people, like, that was not... I was just not <laughs> tricked. <laughs> you know? Uh, I know. So we go from... Finding out that all the boats are being, you know, taken off of, um, taking out a commission to then knocking out the power. And we start to see Sturge and Bev talking about knocking out the cell towers and, and the mayor right. and like 
you know, all of this plotting. Oh my God, we've got that parade of candles to the church. I mean, this is where, like I said, <laughs> shit is just like coasting off a cliff right now. Like everything yeah. is happening. Yeah. And like, it is, I mean, it's, it's reminiscent of some very small Christian towns that do do this too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, it's eerie and super real. And I think that's what sort of drives home the like idea that as crazy as it sounds that a vampire angel is like, you know, hanging around a lot of really devout religious communities do kind of fall into these group thinks and you know behavior and it's very much like okay this this is realistic this could happen especially after the last i don't know 18 months that we've been living in with a pandemic and you see the way group think takes over so i can't wait for the angel in 2022 (laughs) just kidding (laughs) i was not serious universe Universe, yeah. I was not serious. Please don't jinx us. <laughs> no, you're you're right. You are a hundred percent right. Like this is very real. This is a very real way that people live, and I'm not gonna judge people for if that's what they want to believe. That's fine. It's not reality, but it's fine. <laughs> so Neither Scientology. So, uh. So the island is locked down. They are parading to the church for midnight Mm -hmm. mass. Mm -hmm. And there is just a like, this is when I started sitting like hunched with my shoulders. Like, oh God, oh God, what's happening? What's going to happen? What is going to happen? Yeah, you know something is coming, especially from that that really intense mass the day before. Like, you know, today's the big show. And boy, do we find out real fast what's going down what a show what a show like everyone is gathered into the church father paul is up there he finally reveals who he is which is batshit crazy number one and ballsy number two because <laughs> like he's just basically going hey guys i lied i am really your old ass monsignor but like in my peak form and I'm going to show you how you can do that, too. No one seems, like, that, like, shocked. Like, they're shocked, but they're not like, what? They're just like, oh, what are I you know. Doing? I mean, I think between Lisa walking again and yeah. Millie getting Mildred, younger, yeah. like, I think yeah. um, there is a sort of just acceptance that's, like, you yeah. know, filtering among yeah. the crowd until... Sure. The rat poison comes out. Yeah. And then I think people are starting to finally go, oh, well, let's, let's maybe, let's take a step back. Maybe this is a little too much for me. Like, maybe I don't want to kill myself and be born again. Right. Let's take a break. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a lot. <laughs> So I think it's Sturge first, right? Sturge first. And and then uh, it is just like, fuck. And then is it the kid? Yeah, Ali is second. So after Sturge dies, 
the sheriff tries to remove him and Ali from the church. And Ali is right. like, no, I want to stay. I want to stay because I'm a dumb boy. And I think that yeah. this is cool. And that is when the uh, vampire angel daddy shows up. Right. In his right. own chasuble. Like, he's a fucking priest. Like, the audacity, to be honest. And, like, was it the right one? Who knows? <laughs> Beth seemed fine with it. I'm sure she put it on him herself. <laughs> Let me do that up for you. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that is when. That is when it devolves into just a bloodbath. It is just, oh, God. And then um, one of the, like, most horrifying moments was, like, when the mayor is trying to get his daughter to drink it with him at the same time. And he's just, like, drinking it in front of her. And who is it pulling her away? Is it Sarah or is it Annie? Uh, it's someone. I can't. Some, I think it's. it might be Sarah. It might be Aaron. Sarah. But there's also a period where Warren is also trying to protect her oh, as well. yes, yes, I yeah. think Warren helps her when the, the mom starts to drink it too. Yeah. And it's like, ooh. And then so it's like, I think as it's sort of devolving and then as people are dying and then being like revived, they're fucking blood hungry. They're starving. And they're just like, nom, 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 nom. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's really bad. And at some point, Monsignor Prue gets shot in the head. Mildred shoots him. Yeah. Right. Yes. So they knock the sheriff down. He loses his gun. Ollie yeah. takes the rat poison. Millie's like, hold the fuck up. She grabs the gun and she shoots him right in the forehead. And like, what a good shot. Right? For, like, a previously dying, frail old woman. She's like, gotcha. Right. (laughs) And also, like, how horrific for her, knowing what we find out later. Yeah, I mean, when we talk about integrity and characters, right, you have Riley, and then you have Millie, who, like, really immediately sees the situation for what it is, is, like, absolutely not, and, like, does everything in her power to stop it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So after that, it's just like everyone's drinking the rat poison Kool-Aid. And so Aaron, the sheriff, Lisa, Warren, and Annie um, mm-hmm. escape through like the back of the church. And I think and Ed at that point. Oh, and Sarah. And Ed tries to, but Ed gets grabbed by a bunch of people. I think like seven people. Like Yeah, and he's just him. like, go. Yes. But I, I do love that like. Ed and Annie and Warren, all three of them, who are quite religious. I mean, obviously, Warren's an altar boy. Yeah. Like, they all are yeah. like, no, this is wrong. Like, this is this very is wrong not, what's happening. No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I'm sure Annie is kind of like, oh, shit, maybe was Aaron right? Yeah. You know, something about Riley, you know? So they escape into the back of the church and they find Bev. Yes. And so, like, let's talk about Bev for a second. Because she is so gung-ho about this whole little plot happening and she's handing out the rat poison and she's, you know, kind of doing her evil scheming. But she's also kind of hiding in the back. Yeah, like up until this point, she has been like Angel Vampire Daddy's biggest fan. Yes. Okay. I, I thought it was so interesting to find her like hidden in the corner there and she looks terrified. For, like, a brief second, she looks really scared to me until she, like, for remembers who she is and she, like, gets her Yeah. Back. 
Yeah. And I just wonder, like, what what was that? Was that her moment of doubt? And then she just doesn't have a choice, actually, because Aaron shoots her. Yeah. And then, well, then it works. Right? And she yeah. is resurrected. And then all of her, all of everything she knows and has talked about and has listened to is confirmed. And yes. it just sets her Off. on this absolute bonkers power trip. Right. And episode six ends with our like little group of escapees fleeing into the night. And then yeah. Bev finding Sturge in the church and saying, open the doors. Yeah. Which was not the plan if i'm correct that was not the plan for monsignor pruitt like that was not paul's plan right yeah he wanted to repeat what he did with riley and keep him keep all the townspeople in the church for the night into the next morning to like get them through the bloodlust get them through what was changing to them and then like but how were they gonna get through the bloodlust without blood I am wondering if, like, was the vampire just going to be like, feast on me, babies? Yeah, that's like, I'm a little unclear about too. I mean, Bev makes a comment about how they're going to need blood. Mm. Oh, and yeah, sort of like does. put the sheriff in the back. But. Right. I guess maybe what the plan was was that some people would not want to do it and they would be the basically sacrifices for the people who were going to be turned. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I feel Mostly I because either way, they were all going to be turned in the end. Oh, right. Yeah, I guess so. Weird. Yeah, I feel like this is maybe a plot hole, but eh, it's fine. Doesn't yeah. really matter because it didn't work. <laughs> it did not work. <laughs> um, And so, yeah, so episode seven opens with does it open with a shit show i'm almost positive the first scene in episode seven is someone breaking into someone's house to like pull them out and eat them yes and then is it mildred going back into the church to find pruitt yes actually that might be the first episode uh the first scene is her waking up yeah and she comes she goes to find him because she shot him in the head but he's just waking up or something coming to and the and vampire had grabbed him. her and taken her out of the church. And killed her. But she, because she's turned now. Yeah. So I wonder, yeah. So, and that's when we find out that, that Sarah, they were lovers. Yes. And Sarah's their daughter. Which you had, I was so impressed that you thought that he was her father from the very beginning. Like, I was impressed. Like, whoa. Real good job. It was that line. That Sarah had during Crockpot Day. That he had stared at her as a child. Right. And the fact that he kept coming to the mother's house to give her communion. I was like, there's something there. Right. And also, I just pretty much believe if there's a priest in a TV show or movie, he's going to, he's going to have probably slept with someone. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably true. I mean, it's kind of like the the go-to trope for priests is that they were not celibate. It's true. It's true. Um, okay, so yeah, so I guess at that point, that's when he confesses to Mildred why he brought the angel to the island. Could you imagine the confession, I love you so much, 
I want a second chance. I decided to kill 157 people just to be with you for the rest of our lives. Forever and ever and ever. Yikes. They'd be like, okay, maybe you like me more than I like you. Yeah. You know what, Paul? You need to chill. <laughs> yeah. You need to dial okay. it back. You're getting a little creepy now. Oh, yeah. That was a lot. Yeah, so he brought the angel back to the island uh, so they could have a second chance. I love the throwaway line that he had to, like, smuggle and lie and bribe to get that giant trunk from Jerusalem to Crockett. Because it's, like, true. This is 2021. You can't just have a big trunk right, that you don't open inside. Like, this isn't a steamboat from, you know, whatever. Right, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that is just insane to me. Like, okay, Pruitt, okay. Uh, And so then, meanwhile, we've got the unturned townspeople basically setting fire to all the boats because they know at this point they're not leaving. Yeah. They know. There is that really great (laughs) scene where they're all huddled in Aaron's house and the realization that, like, they just have a few minutes. Like, they have a little bit of time that they can make, but they're ultimately not getting off that island. No. Well, they do, they are trying to get Lisa and Warren off the island. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Or at least, at least, yeah, off the island in some sense. So, um, Warren and Lisa are going to go and get in the canoe and, which is somewhere north on the island, I guess. The uppers, right? The uppers. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're going to go there and then the rest of them... Which is, at this point, what, the sheriff, Sarah, Aaron, Annie? Yeah. Is that basically it? Yep. Yeah. But just as they're about to enact their plan, Bev and Sturge throw, like, a fucking Molotov cocktail into the house right. to draw them out. Like, she's gone right. full terrorist real oh, yeah. fast. <laughs> Honestly. Like, she makes um, all of those racist comments to the sheriff, but, like, who's the first one? To, like, right. cr- cross into that threshold. Exactly. Like, that's her. So bad. And just the fact that she would, like, associate him with terrorism. It's just, like, it's, it just, like, er- it just, like, makes me so angry that, like, they use that trope. But also that trope is very fucking real, which is even more irks. <laughs> well, that's the problem, right? Is, like, these people really do exist. And a lot of yeah. them are just like Bev. And pretend to be wicked pious. And as Annie points out in what is her coolest moment of the entire oh, season. Is that so Bev great. is not a good person. And that she can't handle that God might love people the same way that he loves her. Yeah. And it, even if they aren't as good as Bev thinks she is. Basically. Yeah. Oh, that was, that was so good. Oh, and then Annie slits her own throat. Which, Wow. Another wow. moment where I was, like, on the couch covering my face because I was like, no, 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 no. I have a hard problem. Whoa, it was amazing. I was just like, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I love that part because Bev thinks that she can get one over on Annie by bringing up Riley. Like, yeah. if Riley is an example of your parenting, like, what does that say about you? And I love that Annie is like, yeah. That is our parenting. Like, we are good parents. And, like, that's, you know, like, Riley is the kind of person he needed to be because of the way that we raised him. Yeah. And I thought that was super powerful, too. Because, like, again, he's the first one to really be like, I'm more than this. I am better than this. And I'm not participating. Yeah, exactly. 
Oh, so good. It was such a, it was one of those spots where I was like, yes, I like that she talks for a long time. (laughs) Oh, there's something too about the way that her monologue is written. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's fast, like, and it's real and it's exactly what you would expect from a scene like that. It doesn't feel out of place at all. And she delivers, she's an amazing actress. She is. I think that also has something to, like, she really nails that scene. Absolutely incredible. So where, so Bev, okay, so she's, she dies, Bev and Sturge. I guess they keep sort of going through and they start burning everything down. That's right? when, that's, yeah, by burning um, Aaron's house down, I think that is what prompts this revelations, fire bullshit from Bev about like right. how the second death comes from fire. And so she thinks that like this is a great idea. Like it's going to draw people out of their homes. It's going to prevent people from hiding I guess she clearly doesn't think it through though like from the moment she starts burning shit I was like fire is one of the few things that can kill you you fucking moron like why would you light the entire island on fire but does fire kill them I don't really know it doesn't seem like anything kills them except the sun like there was no talk of steaks there was no talk of garlic there was no talk of I don't know, silver? I figure, yeah, that's true. They didn't have any of the classic stuff. I would imagine a head chop probably would do the the deed. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I assume fire would too, but, like, maybe you that's just so? Buffy coming out a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. It's, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> so she's burning the whole town down, and then there is this interaction between our like the only people left on the island who are not turned which is the sheriff sarah and aaron mm-hmm. uh and they're trying to what are they they're going to burn down the church and the rec center they're those gonna, are the last two buildings yeah but first they're going to burn the boats they burn the boats while annie is right sorry you're right while, yeah, while right, annie yeah. is like um having her moment with bev Right. Okay. Yeah. So the be- the boats are burnt. Then Bev goes on her like rampage of burning everything else. After we've seen basically all of the townspeople ravaging the island. Yeah. Sturge is trying to get them to go back to the rec center because the sun is about to rise. Right. So that's when we find. Well, that's when Bev and Father uh, Monsignor Pruitt have their showdown. Yes. Before that. Yes. 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 Yeah, so Pruitt is just, like, horrified by what he sees Bev doing, which is, like, bro, what did you expect? Yeah, like, too little, too late, dude, to, like, suddenly regret turning your entire island into blood-hungry vampires. Like, my bad. I just wanted to sleep with my old beau, and I turned this island into a bunch of bloodthirsty Catholics. Well, and the funniest part about it, too, right, is, like, Bev has been on the vampire train. She's been on the Monsignor Pruitt train this entire time, and the moment he expresses doubt, she comes up with a perfectly good Bible verse to discredit him. It's like there is something for every moment. Yes. Bev's catalog of preaching yes. bullshit. 
Yes, she like calls him a false prophet or something like that. Yeah, and so she's basically like, nah, I'm denouncing you and basically becomes the leader of this sort of, I don't know, faction of, anyway. And so that's, I think, at the, that moment when they're all there, Pruitt and Mildred are there, um, Sturge and Bev are there, and then they, Sheriff, Sarah, and Aaron are there, and Sturge shoots Sarah and kills her in the church. God, that moment is so brutal. And uh, Pruitt tries to save her, and she tells him no, and she spits out the blood. The most <laughs> badass moment is her spitting out the blood. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, God. Like, and it's just, I think that is the moment when that is really, like, the final moment for Pruitt when he's just like, oh, God, what have I done? Yeah. Well, because it's it's completely blown up in his face and everything that he could have possibly have wanted out of yeah. that, you know, he lost. It's gone now. Yeah, exactly. So I think at that point, what? So, oh, and actually, so there's a bunch of stuff happening at the point. So Sturge has shot Sarah. Yes. Um, And then Aaron and the sheriff are heading towards the rec center. And that's when Bev shoots the sheriff in the stomach. Yes. Right? Between Sarah putting gasoline in the church and yeah. the sheriff putting gasoline outside of the rec center building, they've both effectively, like you know, made the attempts to yeah. burn both buildings down, but... Right. And that's when the a- angel gets Aaron, right? That all kind of happens at the same moment. Yeah, so it's like Bev shoots the sheriff and is like, ha ha ha, I won, you can't finish the job. And he's like, right. I'm not alone. And Aaron comes out after, you know, spilling gasoline inside. And that's when right. the vampire comes and snatches her away. Right. Well, just kind of like pins her to the ground. It's like It's like 50 yards. Or something. And sh- that is like, let's talk about the milk toast of a vampire in this show. Yeah, because it's it's not the first time it happens either in the episode. Like when Warren and Lisa are trying to escape, they hide in this like abandoned house and they find the vampire feasting on someone and he doesn't, like she shoots him like two or three times. And he doesn't even look at her. It's like... I don't know if maybe that's the point, right? Like, after all is said and done, the vampire's kind of lame. But, like, the vampire's kind of lame. Like, super lame. Like, so he's just, like, going to town on Aaron and just, like, nom, nom, nom. And she is just, like, taking her knife uh, and just, like, slashing his wings, like, over and over and over. Just, like, strips of wings hanging down. And he's just, like, mmm, be positive. It's so brutal. It's, like, so brutal to watch. (laughs) It was, like, kind of funny. Like, in a, like, this is jokey. Yeah, it was kind of silly to me that that was, like... Yeah. Like, that's it? Yeah. But, like, honestly, that just solidified for me what I had always thought about, and I've told you this before, that the angel was not the villain of this show. The villain of this show is Bev Keen. 150%. Uh, For sure. For sure, because she takes everything to extraordinary levels. When she sort of decides to take charge, you can see that sort of righteousness coming out of her. And there's that scene where, I think his name is Howard. 
Howard is just like this general nice guy, friends with Sturge. Sturge kills him, brings him back, but maybe doesn't do the right thing by telling Howard how it works. And in his bloodlust, Howard kills his entire family. Right. And Bev is like so happy to lord all of this over him because he wasn't a churchgoer. So therefore, he's not worthy. And she basically tells him that he can't be with them. Right. In the rec center. Right. Because she is going to be having all of her churchgoers in the rec center when the sun comes up so that they can stay a happy little vamp. Right. And so that is what prompts Sarah's murder because Monsignor Pruitt comes out of the church and he's like, Howard can come with me. Everyone is welcome in the church. That is how this is supposed to work. Right. And that's when Sturge shoots her. So it's, it is really like Bev is the catalyst for so much. So much, yeah. Like obviously Monsignor Pruitt is ultimately responsible, (laughs) but she's like, let's do it. As dumb as his like reasons were, Like, there wasn't, like, a vindictiveness or a viciousness behind them. There never was. And hers is just, like, from episode one, she's just, like, I'm better than everyone. Yeah. So, you know. It ends, effectively, with the rec center and the church burning down. Oh, yes, because Ali sees his dad has been shot. Yes. And he turns on them. Finally snaps back to the reality of the situation and burns the rec yeah. center down. Yeah. It is, yeah, it's it's extremely interesting how it shakes out that, like, Millie is the reason the church burns, you know, and Ali is the reason the rec center burns, and we get these kind of final moments where, like, they have nowhere to go now. They are not going to survive the morning. Yeah. And so it's amazing to see the way certain characters deal with their impending fates, right? Like Annie and Ed, who have seemingly become just, like, very aware of what's happening. They're not eating and, like, they're not letting the bloodlust take them over. Um, Mm -hmm. They start this, like, I mean, from a non, (laughs) from someone who really can't handle church music anymore, um... They break into this hymn and they start singing. And it's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. And like, you know, for the most part, the townspeople begin to accept their fate and they yeah. sing together and it's this like very haunting moment. Mm-hmm. You have the sheriff and his son praying, which yeah. is beautiful. It's so beautiful that they get yes. to pray together before they both go because that's... I know. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. So great. And then you have Bev. Ugh. who is literally crawling in the dirt to try and figure out how to, like, like hide digging herself. a hole in the beach to, like, hide herself in. And it's just like, no, bitch. Coward no. until the very fucking end. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. I think Annie brings up a really good point. At some point, I can't remember, in this episode, she talks about, like, we grew up thinking about heaven and about what's waiting for us when we die and that, you know, we're going to finally be with God again and it's going to be this great experience. So why on earth would he want us to live forever? Mm, yeah. You know, like that's, she immediately sees through 
the bullshit mm-hmm. of like there is mm-hmm. no god that would want us to have everlasting life on earth the whole point is to have everlasting life in heaven with me, you know? Right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for Bev to be so f- scared, you know, I mean, it definitely goes to show what kind of believer she really is. Yeah, I mean, she knows where she's going. So, and then, so basically, yeah, everyone starts turning to dust. And the camera sort of, like, pans out to Lisa and Warren in the canoe watching their entire home that they've only ever known their entire life burning. And it's interesting, too, because we have the juxtaposition of Warren Lisa in the canoe watching, and then you have Erin dying in the cemetery, and you finally flash back to her, like, monologue on death. Yeah. Which I thought was an interesting juxtaposition. And you see the vampire trying to escape because there's nowhere for him to hide out. Right. But he's flying kind of funny and slow, and Warren and Lisa don't believe he can make it 30 miles before the sun actually rises. Right, to get to, like, to get to land, like, to the mainland. And I think, like, the last thing that Lisa says before the credits is that she can't feel her legs. Yes. And I like that they leave it vague, but my theory is that the vampire dies, and so any effect his blood had disappears with his death. Right, right. Or uh, there was something, and I don't know if it was in episode six, maybe, Sarah was talking about how the blood kind of, like, it doesn't last in your system, so that you sort of start to lose it. So maybe it also is that... Lisa was not, like, because she hasn't had the blood in a while, maybe it's starting to wear off. I'm not, I don't know, but I liked that it was vague, actually. And also super convenient that they had to run all over the island to save themselves and her legs finally give out when they're in the canoe safe. Right. Like, could you imagine if that happened while they were, like, running around? I know. Like, Warren just, like, has her on his back. I mean, that would have been fine, but... Um, yeah, and that is Midnight Mass. What a wild ride. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose, Daria. Stop it. (laughs) That's a Friday Night Lights reference for anyone who doesn't know. I just like to torture Daria. Wow, I really, when you suggested it, I was like, no, no. I like scary movies. I don't like horror. I don't like things jumping out at me. I'm definitely not watching this. And you're like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and then um, I was coerced into watching it. And I watched like the first like four episodes in one night. And I was like, hey, Daria, guess what? We should totally do Midnight Mass because you were right. It's awesome. So I'm glad that you got that suggestion from one of your friends. Yes. Shout out to Bridget for telling me to watch it because, you know. It worked out Yay, Bridget. so well. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I, I think we had a lot of fun. It was not like a lot of our other recaps, which was kind of like a nice change it up. You yeah. Know? Yeah, it's it's nice to uh, dip into uh, a freaky little horror genre every once in a right, while. Right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so that was, that was fun. I enjoyed it. I am looking forward to 
more things that Mike Flanagan puts out. Is supposed to be doing an adaptation on the fall of the House of Usher. I heard that. I heard that that was, he was going to be working on that. Which I'm curious to see how that shakes out because his adaptation of Hill House is nothing like the book and should really never have been called Hill House, even though I loved it. Like, great show. I loved it a lot. Was not The Haunting of Hill House, Mike. Okay. Um, right but yeah i'll be curious to see if it's like a real adaptation or just like a loosey-goosey in name only kind of adaptation right yeah i know and i also like really want to see like what is next for zach guilford because i feel like he's done he's done some stuff in the last little while like i know he was on good girls for a while he was on la's finest um he was on this close um, you know, so he's done some, he's done some stuff, but yeah, I would. Would not mind if he becomes another Flanagan favorite. I'll be honest. It's true. Yeah, he is. I think in, I think I read, um, he's in some other sort of like, sort of scaryish movie. I'm not sure who, or TV show maybe, but I'm not sure who I'm just looking. Oh, it is. It is a Mike Flanagan show actually. Um, it's coming next year. It's called The Midnight Club. Ah! Um, I don't know anything about other than it's like, it's about scary stories. Is it going to be like an Are You Afraid of the Dark rip? I am not sure, but I know that Samantha Sloyan, who plays Bev, is also in it. Oh, like, let's talk about star-making performances. Yeah, I think that's how you say her name. I'm not sure, but it looks like that's how you say her name. Uh, She's awesome. She is. She was the standout for me performance-wise. I mean, she really ate up that role in, like, the best way possible. Yeah. She, oh, so good. It's funny because I, she was in Grey's Anatomy, and I, she was in, like, 20 episodes of Grey's Anatomy. And I, in 2016, and I, I don't really remember her. I haven't watched Grey's Anatomy since, like, season three, so I've got... Oh, see, like, I have watched every... I have watched, like, every season. I'm just trying to remember who she was, but it was like, oh, I know who she was. She was the doctor who treated Derek when he got in his car accident and died. And then she ends up being, um a resident at the hospital after um i remember, i was gonna say i know she looks she just looks all really really different in Grey's anatomy than she does in um in midnight mass but yeah so i yeah so the midnight club is coming in 2022 it says the midnight club follows a group of five terminally ill patients at rotterdam house who begin to gather together at midnight to share scary stories ah, that sounds right up my alley sounds pretty cool so yeah we'll have to we'll have to see um oh the guy who plays warren is also in it igby rigney quite a few people from uh midnight mass so uh daria is there anything that you just can't stop thinking about actually to uh talk about another mike flanagan fave uh i just finished season three of you Starring my uber girl crush, Victoria Pedretti. And it was insanity this season. Like, there are definitely some slow spots. But once it got going, it got going. And it was wild. I don't know why I love this show so much. Because it is patently absurd. But, like, 
it was so good. It was so good. And season four is, I'm hoping the last season so I can finally see Joe get his fucking comeuppance. Right. I have not seen, I haven't seen any of it. I have not seen a single episode. And I don't even know why. I think it's just, it was just one of those shows, like, it was on, but then, like, I just got busy watching other things, and it's probably going to be one of those, like, Last Kingdom things where I will go and start watching it and be like, oh, I watched this the first episode, like, five years ago, <laughs> or <laughs> whenever it came out, and, like, I just will have totally forgotten that it came out. I put off watching it for so long because I thought the premise was really stupid, and then I watched season one while I was, like, homesick one day, and I was obsessed. And I, you just, you would love it. It speaks to okay. so many things that I know you love. Um, <laughs> you gotta do it. You just gotta do it. I love it. Okay, well, maybe I will. I, I need some new TV shows, so. <laughs> uh, but what about you? Um, actually, I just finished reading the book It Happened One Summer by Tessa Bailey. She is a fantastic uh, romance author who I've read quite a few of her books um, and I really, really enjoy them. Um, This one is one of her latest ones um, and it's actually about a fisherman who is like a, like they do crabbing like in Alaska, Um, but it's based in the Pacific Northwest, but they live in like a small fishing town, which was so funny after watching Midnight Mass and seeing like sort of that life and then reading this book, it was really kind of, I liked it because it kind of felt like it was like a continuation of like that. A companion piece. (laughs) Right. Um, And then the heroine is like, she is basically based on Alexis Rose from Schitt's Creek. Like the author even says that, like she pretty much says that. Um, and she's just so fun and it's such a great read. Um, it's, there's some really funny points. There's some really poignant moments. Um, there's some really steamy scenes like that. Like it's got everything. Um, and Tessa Bailey is just such an excellent writer and I highly recommend all of her stuff. But, um, if you're looking for something fun and want to keep with the fishing village uh vibe i highly recommend it i might have to add it to my list she also has like a christmas one that just came out so i'm gonna read that one next i think i love a holiday romance oh i know me too (laughs) i know speaking of holiday romance ah good segue what a segue it's like we planned this or something (laughs) so we are planning our schedule for the next couple of months um, but in the very immediate future, uh, Daria and I are going to be, despite all of our begrudging of the Christmas season approaching, uh, we are going to be, uh, watching a couple, um, holiday movies and giving our takes. Um, we're going to be watching one of our absolute favorite holiday movies of all time of the holiday a classic kate winslet jack black jude law and cameron diaz yes and it is such oh i just love it so much like it's it truly is one of my absolute favorite um holiday movies um and then we're also gonna be watching a really new christmas um romance movie that just premiered on netflix called love hard and that is with Nina Dobrev. 
Yes, from Vampire Diaries. Thing. And um, Harry Shim Jr. is in it as well. And the main guy, though, is Jimmy O. Yang. Yes. Who, um, I've only seen him in Silicon Valley. Um, I haven't seen him in too many other things, but I love him. He is hilarious. So I'm very excited to see this movie. Um, I've heard excellent, excellent things about it. So, yeah, so that's what we're going to do. And also, also, we are taking a break. (laughs) Yes, we are taking um, the week of Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving off, to give us a little bit of a break as we gear up for a lot of Witcher talk in December. Yes. Hang on to your braided hair, folks, because we are all going to get real familiar or re-familiar with um, everyone's favorite grumbly witcher. Yes. So if you are planning a rewatch before season two, now is the time. We will be joining you as we rewatch season one. So we can recap, and then we will be going week by week into all of the episodes of season two. Yes, and that will take us through the beginning of the year and into the new year. So we're looking forward to it. Um, we have some fun things planned, and yeah. Where can they find us, Daria? All right, guys. You can find us at hotelvicarious.com. You can drop us an email at hotelvicarious at gmail.com. And you can reach out to us on social, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Hotel Vicarious. Well, folks, this has been Hotel Vicarious. We want to thank you for checking in, and we hope you enjoyed your stay.